Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. You can be the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord, and sent me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man. Can these bones live? I said, Sovereign God, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the words of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and, I will come, and, I will come, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I will attach tendons and make the flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Okay. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off, cut off and they prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I opened your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in a land of your own. Then you will know that I am Lord that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Thank you so much to Sister Frida for the reading, and I learned a lot from her. I think there's something really important to be said about already being in a posture of readiness and of showing up when you come into places where you're hoping to meet God, and there's something just very beautiful and authentic about that, that just simply the reading of Scripture is enough to come undone for her, and it's actually something I long for for myself. So thank you 
for that, Frida. Uh, that actually also brings me a question I'd love to invite you into. It's a question that just comes up time to time, but I've been thinking about a lot lately. It has to do with our kind of gathering together. Um, and it's just this simple question. What are you hoping for when you gather together in church on a Sunday? Okay, like, I mean, I put that to you as well. I think about that. What are we hoping for when we come together? Uh, it's no small feat to get yourself out the door early on a Sunday morning, right? If you had a late Saturday night, if you've got a little kid you're trying to drive around, it's like no small feat to get yourself here, right? So something's driving us, something's pushing us to do it. Um, even post-COVID, even more enhanced how much of a challenge it is to get out. So what are you hoping for? Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of things we might kind of put into the pile of answers. We might say, some of us might say it's community that I'm really hoping for, the connection time with each other, right? The ability to join in on prayers and praises and celebrations for each other. Certainly those, everything under community is a good reason. Some might say the ability to sing and worship together is what I'm really looking for. Some might say it's the study of scripture that really driving me. Some might say it's because I want my kids or my teens in church. Some might be, say because potluck Sunday, the fall potluck Sunday, that's what gets me to church. I, mean, I think those are all important. Those would all be part of what we'd certainly piece together if we were saying why is church important. But I, I, I do suspect there's something that's under all of those, that informs all of those. Um, this is kind of the language that's been bouncing around me lately. Uh, I'm thinking how Peter said it in Matthew 16 when Jesus pulls the disciples together and first asks, who do people say I am? You know, as they're interacting with my teaching, my healing, my power, who are they saying I am? He asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And they all just go silent, right? It, I, I think they kind of felt like, you know who we think you are, but, but, but you seem to be drawing, you're, you're looking for something deeper, it seems like right now, right? So they're really kind of weighing the question, who, who do you say I am? And it's finally Peter who says, he says, I believe you're the Messiah, which is the one who's sent from God. But then he adds this phrase, he says, I believe you are the son of the living God. And this is the language that's just been kind of bouncing around with me lately of, of the unique invitation, the unique opportunity we have to encounter the living God. Right? And I, I like that phrase, living God, because it's not just God. It's a God who is alive, active, moving, to encounter a living God. It's not my intention so much to convince you of this today, because either that resonates or it doesn't. That would be a different conversation. But I will do one more swing on this. I, I will often come back to just the beautiful depiction of how Adam and Eve interacted with God in the Garden of Eden, because I think that's so much telling us how we're built. And uh, we did this at the very beginning of the series, but this notion of the living God who uh, knows us by name, who's created us in God's image, who longs for connectivity and intimacy with us, that living God who says, where are you? Right? And, and that summoning inside of us that I really believe we're kind of designed like this where what we long to be able to answer, we long to be able to hear that voice that asks, where are you? And we long to be able to say, here am I. Here am I. And when I'm thinking these days about what I'm hoping for when we gather together. All those other things we said are important too, but there's something distinctly possible. It doesn't mean it happens every time, but I think there's still something to hope for. There's something distinctly possible about encountering the living God in a communal kind of a way. I think we can do that in our own walk too and should, but there's something about being together where we encounter the living God. So I want to I wanna raise that as kind of a way to think of this passage, this beautiful passage in Ezekiel 37. We're towards the end of this series that we did called The Questions God Asks. And we've been looking at these, um, just Old Testament versions of this, um, encounters that God has with people and the questions God asks of them in honoring that 
there's something very important about when we ask questions of God, and God certainly honors those. But we see something unique about God when God is the one asking a question. We learn something about God. And we're in the second to last one here. We're in Ezekiel. This is not a church service per se, so um, I'm drawing a bridge from this. But this is very much a communal kind of encounter with God, which makes this one a little bit unique of the ones we've looked at. I mean, it does happen specifically through Ezekiel, but as verse 11 kind of makes clear that this, this, the whole of what's happening here is for the whole people of Israel, the Hebrew people. And we're entering into this. This is a series of visions and encounters that Ezekiel has in these chapters here. Uh, but in terms of historically, this is in the midst of the exile uh, that the Hebrew people are in, a time of real misery, turmoil, desperation, you could even say. A lot of it brought on by their own disobedience and breaking of their covenant with God. So they've kind of hit this point, and Ezekiel's hit this point, where they just don't know if there's any more hope. They just don't know if things are going to get any better. They don't know if God has turned God's back on them or not. And so God is going to use this, this vision in particular to really encourage and inspire people that God very much is still with them. So here, here's what I'd love to ask of this today as we look at it. If, you know, hopefully that resonates at some level that what our hearts long for, even if we can't name it, is to have an encounter with the living God. That's one of the things that's possible, if not happening at the same level all the time. It's something we can hope for. Uh, to ask in question form, if we're going to have a collective encounter with the living God, what does that look like? Right? Like what you should be on the lookout for. Like if it happens, which you even know it happens, right? Or saying the other way, if you're expectant and hopeful, what is it maybe you could be expectant and hopeful for? If collectively we're looking at how do we have an encounter with the living God, what can we be looking for? What can be we hoping for? Uh, that's what I'd love to ask of this passage. And I'm going to really discipline myself. I'd like to do more than two things, but I'm going to keep it to two because... Um, I think the rest of the things in this passage can fall under those two. So uh, I, 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 hope you can, I hope that connects with you. I hope that that's of interest to you as you come to this passage to ask that. What are we looking for? What are we hoping for when we hope for an encounter with the living God? What does it sound like, feel like, look like to have an encounter with the living God? That's what I'd like to ask of that. Sound good? Um, let me just focus on two things uh, this passage, we read 14 verses. They're all really beautiful. I'm going to especially focus on the first six verses because I think that kind of sets the stage in the second half of it, builds on these. Let's, let's look at just two important themes. The first one is going to be the harder one for me to find words for because by its very nature, describing something, it's not easy to describe, but I'm going to do my best. The second one I think is a little, little easier to kind of wrap our heads around, but just as important. Uh, here's the word I would like to try to propose for this first one. I'm really going to develop this at the beginning of this. An encounter with God is otherworldly. All right, when you say that word, it's not a word we use all the time. We say it's otherworldly. That's an actual word in English. You can actually look that up. It's, it's the definition of otherworldly is when you're particularly focused or particularly attuned to the spiritual realm. Uh, and in the definition of otherworldly, it's being less attuned, less conscious of the material and earthly realm, and more in particularly in conscious of the spiritual realm. And so I, I want to stay in this one a little bit first because this is, this is I do feel like there's kind of a, a, a healthy balance, a healthy tension. At the same time, there is the lived experience, right? The earthly realm, the natural realm, the material realm. I mean, this is the stuff where the material realm is always the very concrete things. Like, and, and right, coming to church is important for that too. When you come to church, a lot of us are thinking about financial needs that we have. Or we're thinking about internal things that we're holding that we just really need God's presence in, right? We're negotiating 
physical ailments or somebody that we know is negotiating physical ailments. We're thinking of family conflicts, relational conflicts. You know, these are all the things in the, in the natural realm that are, of course, very important. God always tells us that we should bring these. Um, so it's not pitting them against the spiritual realm as, as much as saying, even as we are attentive to those things, right? I think of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, right? It's God inviting us to be um, very conscientious and specific around the th- kinds of material things we need from God. At the same time, we kind of all know this, but don't always think about it, maybe at the same time, but there's, at the same time, there's this spiritual realm that's happening right at the same time, right? And that too, at the Lord's Prayer, it's just, it's at the heart of the Lord's Prayer is kind of this desire to see an overlap between them, right? That thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, or even to pray that there would be this, I don't know what's the right word, overlap, integration, connection between the two. So, so it's not to pit one against the other, but on the way to trying to explore this one, it does, I don't know how else to say, it feels like when you have an encounter with God, though it always will manifest in the material, in the natural, when you're aware of the movement of God, it, it feels like something other. Maybe I can just start there, other way, otherworldly. It just feels otherish. Is that a word? I don't think that's a word, but otherish, otherly. Uh, you're aware of something bigger and broader than what's happening in that moment. Uh, we've done a number of characters in this series, but let's just go. If you weren't here last week, we did Isaiah and Isaiah 6, right? So the otherworldliness for Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has this encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6, right, Isaiah starts to become acutely aware, acutely conscious of kind of the spiritual realm that's happening right at the same time as the physical. So for Isaiah, he has this sense of angelic beings who are singing in the presence of God, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So Isaiah is starting to realize this was always happening, but he has suddenly got a spiritual sense of something more than just what's happening in the material, earthly realm. He has a sense of God sitting on the throne in the, the, the train's of God's robe filling the, the whole temple, right? So there, there's this sense of lightning and thunder and smoke and an altar that's burning something. Isaiah's just having this sense. It's an otherworldly kind of experience, right? And that can be a little bit intimidating. You go, well, is that what it's supposed to look like every time you have an encounter with God, that you hear angelic beings singing and you see God sitting on the throne? Well, what we see here, Isaiah also has, a, or Ezekiel also has a very otherworldly encounter, but it doesn't involve angelic beings singing and it doesn't involve... God sitting on the throne. Here's how Ezekiel's plays out. If you don't mind bringing this passage back up again, let's just look at these first three verses. It just reminds us of how otherworldly, even as it's a very clear-cut vision, it's very otherworldly. Uh, Ezekiel, as he's trying to describe what happens, he says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and the Lord brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sets me in the middle of a valley full of bones. Right? So, the otherworldliness, the sense of otherness for Ezekiel is not a throne and smoke and lightning and thunder and angels singing. He's in the middle of a cemetery. He's in the middle of a graveyard. And so this is what his vision is. This is what his sense is. Uh, God led me back and forth among these bones, and I saw bones on the floor of the valley everywhere, bones that were very dry. And then for this first part, we'll kind of stop at verse 3. God asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, not really sure what to make the whole thing, says back to God, Sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. All right, let's pause there for a moment. So, so what, I'm, what I'm trying to clarify, and this is, this is whenever you're trying to describe something that's outside of the everyday experience, words get a little bit elusive, right? But 
when we're encountering God, I just think we're aware of two different dimensions that are kind of bumping up against each other, right? It's the very nature of hearing from God. The, the finite with which we live in is bumping up against the infinite, right? The temporal, the immediate reality that we live in is bumping up against the eternal. The natural is bumping up against the supernatural. And it can express itself in a thousand different ways. Uh, it can feel in a lot of different ways, but Here's what I think that stays consistent. When you are having an encounter with God, and again, you can have this, not in communal spaces too, but I think there is something about us all coming together that kind of intensifies everything. When you have an encounter with God, I think just at the, at the most basic and yet not basic level, it just feels very otherworldly. That you're aware that two different realms are kind of touching up against each other, maybe even converging, maybe overlapping. And for an Isaiah, it can look like and sound like angel singing and God sitting on the throne. For Ezekiel, it can feel like God taking Ezekiel by the hand through God's spirit and walking him around this graveyard and inviting him to consider what all this death means. But but here's what stays consistent, that you're, you're having an otherworldly thing that, again, eventually will manifest again in the material world. In fact, that's one of the things, what I love about this particular vision is that the suffering of the people, the despair of the people, that's not disconnected from the spiritual. In fact, that's, that's kind of the question God asks, Ezekiel here, is can these dry bones live? Right? That's, that's kind of the question that um, the, this particular one is built around. But the, this first one, and I'm going to pair with the second one, which I think helps us step into a little bit more. But I, I just think, I think we have to open ourselves up a little bit. Uh, I think we have to remember that we are both, we are both spiritual beings and fleshly beings at the same time. Right? Our human bodies matter. They're from God. God cares about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, what they're holding, absolutely. And we're spiritual beings all at the same time that are built with, if I can kind of go back to that Garden of Eden language, I think we are built with a homing signal inside of us that remembers the God who says, where are you? There's something inside of even when we don't have the right words for it, we can sense the living God of the universe calling us to God's self. And when that starts to happen, you're not just in the flesh and blood natural stuff. You, you, you're, you're bumping into another reality. You're, you, the, the finite and the infinite are kind of touching up against each other. The temporal and the eternal are bumping up against each other. All right? So that, that, that's, that's just the first thing, just to remember that, that when we are, when we are coming into an encounter with God, right, we, we, are, we are becoming conscious of a reality that's going on at the same time as our natural material world. You tracking with me on that? Okay. Let's, let's go to a second one, and then we'll try to put them together at the end. Uh, for this one, I'd like to ask this. What, what does it sound like? What does it sound like when you're encountering God? And I actually think that there are some things we can hold on to um, that give us, right, just like anytime you're learning another language, right, you, have, you, have to, you have to learn how to listen for it and understand it. I think the language of the spiritual is language we can understand, but we have to be attuned to it. So let me read this first and then try to kind of say this in a clear way. Let me read verses 4 through 6 again, uh, if you just want to track through these again. Uh, so, so God says to Isaiah uh, in verse 4, so in verse 3, Ezekiel said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So uh, God says to Isaiah, Prophesy to these bones, say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to, this is going to be an important word, say this word, and you will come to what? Life. 
I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. And again, he says, you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I believe, you know, this is always one of the things I want to be careful with when reading a story, not to make one particular account, the normalized, how it always happens. We already kind of compared and contrasted Isaiah and Ezekiel. But here's one thing I do believe is universal. When you're encountering God, you, this is what the language sounds like. The language of God sounds like life and death. When God is speaking, God is consistently speaking through the Bible in such a way that it's calling us into life, Right? Those of you who are Bible students can kind of patch together many, many places. Most famously, I think, John 10.10, 10, right, where Jesus says, I've come to bring life and life in all of its full, but you see this all throughout Scripture. God is calling us into life. And I, I, I do think this is different than what we often instinctively think God's agenda is. I think many of us assume God's agenda is to align us with the right way of living in the world, the right behaviors, the right actions, which don't ever want to minimize, of course, to live with God is to live rightly in the world. Never want to minimize that. But I think a lot of us still fundamentally think that God is trying to get us to be obedient to God's will, not to disobey God's will, that that's kind of the center point. I would contend that the center point, that actions come from this, but I would contend the center point is not that. I would contend the center point is about death and life, that God is trying to speak to dead people and dead things and bring them into life in God that this language, the Apostle Paul used the language of becoming a new creation, that there's, there's this newness, there's this aliveness when we meet God. And I don't want to say this. There, there's the largest manifestation of this, which to not know God, the Bible would describe that first and foremost as being dead in our sins and to be saved by God is to be alive in God. Certainly that's very important. But, but, but here's, even, here's where, where this passage becomes really significant for me. There's a day-to-day way that death and life are realities that we're coming in and out of. When, when the Bible is talking about death oftentimes, to be death is kind of synonymous with numb or disconnected or not alive and alert, right? So when we're in our disconnected places from God, I'm not talking about whether you've even given your life to God or not, but just on a day-to-day basis, when you're not living alive with God, um, uh, you're not able to hear who God says you are, you're not able to hear who God says others are, you're not able to kind of move with God, right? When Jesus talks about life in John chapter 10, it's all about the sense of the good shepherd who's moving his sheep around. When you're in kind of a more dead space, you just tend to be going through the motions. And while there's nothing, this isn't about right and wrong, what I'm describing right now. This isn't about good and bad that I'm describing right now. It really is about death and life, that it gets to this notion, it gets to this sense, maybe I can say it in in, an even clearer, I'm sure I can say this in a clearer way. Let me try to say this in a clearer way. If we're going to have an encounter with God, it's a good idea to know what is it that God wants for you from that encounter. Maybe this is a clear way to say it, right? What is it that God wants from us? If we actually have an encounter with God in the way that God wants that, us to have an encounter, what will God want from us? What would God hope for us? I would say this passage shows us, the Bible shows us often, what God wants for you to be is alive. Alive, which can manifest in lots of different ways, being attuned, being conscious, being alert, being attentive, right? Being open. But when we're, when we're alive, we feel differently, we move differently, we experience God differently, we show up in the world differently, we show up with people in a different kind of a way. What God wants for us is to be alive. When we look at this 
second set of three verses where the vision of this is about becoming alive. Um, is, it, is this up again? Yeah, thanks. Verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath come into you, and you will come into life. Does the language of a God who's speaking breath into something that's dead and it coming to life sound familiar from anywhere else? Yeah, this is one of the, this, this is, I, I just love how the Bible does this, where there's these consistent images, but like they're kind of bracketed, then it pops up all the way through. So we'll use Genesis account on one end, and then the resurrection account on the other end, where you see this kind of language. In Genesis, this is the creation story, right, that God takes the inanimate and breathes into it, and it becomes alive, right? Which is showing us right from the beginning, this is what God does, this is what who God is, this is what God cares about. God breathes into something that's not alive, and it comes alive. I see it here in Ezekiel. I think one of the trippiest, and especially if you don't realize it's been in the Bible all the way through, trippiest fun, but kind of trippy images of the resurrection account. In the account of John, after Jesus has died and resurrected and comes back to his disciples, you know what Jesus does to his disciples before he leaves them again? One by one, and just the physical nature of this, the example of the material and the immaterial, the eternal and the temporal coming together is so beautiful. One by one, Jesus comes to his disciples, takes them by the head, and he breathes on them. That's John's account, John 20, I think that is. You can go back and look at that. Breathe on each one of them. Now, when that happens, I think it probably would have been trippy, but would that have been the first time that they ever thought about the notion of God breathing into them? Nah, they knew that was the Genesis story. Right, they knew that was the Ezekiel vision of dry bones that God breathes into these bones. So when we're going to have an encounter with God, because right, on one hand I'm acknowledging there's a mystical nature to have an encounter with God, but on the other hand I think there's a risk where it becomes so mystical we feel like we can't ever access it or we can't experience it or we think that this is something that only happens once a decade or once every two decades. I, I don't. Have, my own personal conviction would be that this is something God hopes happens to you on a regular basis, that you would have encounters with God. And by nature of any of these things, some of them will feel much bigger uh, when they happen. Some of them will feel more mid-level, and some of them will just be kind of the everyday kinds of encounters that you need. But here's two things that I think stay same. I think it feels otherworldly, and something about that encounter will feel like dead things are coming to life. That's what I just want to say so clearly is, is kind of wrapping this up, that the clearest sign of an encounter with God is that it will feel like dead things are coming to life, right? And of course, you, I hope you can start to like apply these for your own life, right? Because there's, there's a lot of different ways death plays out in big ways, medium ways, small ways in our lives, right? I mean, like there's some, there are probably some big things in your life that feel like it's like death approaching near, but then there's... Again, I, I would go. I would include. I would say moving through the world with a sense of just kind of day to day numbness and spiritual apathy is kind of its own version of death on a day to day basis. And so, when you feel something coming back alive, where it's like numbness is not the state that you're gonna is gonna be your resting state all the time, that you actually feel awake a little bit, conscious a little bit, attentive a little bit, open even, which is scary because when you're open, you can be disappointed, right? And that's its own whole posture that, that it requires a sense of, just even be open requires a sense of courage in the world because anytime you're open, you can get hurt, you can get disappointed, right? The safer thing is always to stay unopen, to not be listening because if you're listening, you don't hear anything that feels disappointing. 
If you're open and get hurt, that feels like it was not worth the risk, right? If you hope and then the hope is deferred, that can feel very disappointing, right? So it requires a lot of courage. But I would say that's its own kind of death, to choose to never be open, to never be attentive, to never be conscious, its own kind of death. And so when we feel a little bit more alive, when we feel a little bit more open, feel a little bit more daring to hear what God would say, to open ourselves to how God is moving in the world, to me, that's what it feels like when dead things are coming to life. And I think that's one of the things we can assume is always going to be part of an encounter with God is that you can feel dead things coming to life. Which is why I would say, so the question in the first part is super important. The question is, God asks of Ezekiel, can these bones live? Which is its own kind of cool way in which God invites Ezekiel into participation with the work that God is doing. But here, if I could boil down everything that I would love for us to be thinking about from this passage into one line, it would be verse 4. Uh, if, if, if you could hear a word from God, and this is actually the precise language God uses at the end of this, that they have heard a word from me. If you could hear a word from God, it doesn't have to be word for word exactly like this, but this is the notion of what a word from God, I think, will almost always sound like when you have an encounter with God. Uh, and God tells Ezekiel to say it, but for us, this is through the Spirit hearing it. But God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, to these bones that are dead, right? And this is simple but profound. This, this is... This is what I'd love for us to carry in our hearts, not just today, but every time we're looking for an encounter with God. God says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry, dead places, hear the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord is life. The word of the Lord brings dead things to life, dry things to being radiant and alive. But just... the. I mean, that, this, the, the whole thing, that's all this cool stuff. You like see the ligaments and flesh coming on. You see it turn into a whole army, which is its own whole cool image of, I'd love to preach that too, but I want to stick just with the encounter kind of idea today. Prophesy to these bones, say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I'm trying to do, I'm hoping to do kind of two things at the same time. I'm hoping to like live in the mystical abstract nature of an encounter with God, and I'm hoping to, that there's kind of a real clear equipping thing in this too. And this is the equipping thing. When you come in, whether it's a Sunday service, whatever, whatever we're doing, we're coming together corporately to encounter God, I would say if you could even train yourself, memorize, to listen for these words where the voice of God says to this, whatever part of you is cut off, disconnected, dying, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And you see how the end then, verse 6, this is why I feel like I can say this so confidently. At the end of verse 6, God says, then you will know I am the Lord. So how can you know? How, what's one of the ways that you can be confident that God is active and alive and moving and in our lives is when dead things come to life. God actually offers that up as one of the clearest signs of the movement of God. When dead things come to life. And I think this is what always happens in an encounter with God. Sometimes you don't even know something's dead. That's part of the problem of being dead, right? Is you're not even, like when something atrophies and you're not using it anymore, you don't even pay attention to it anymore, right? So sometimes what can happen in an encounter with God is you become aware of something that has kind of died off that you didn't even really realize died off, right? Sometimes it's something you totally knew is or are aware. You're feeling disconnection, hopeless. But this is, this is what happens with an encounter of God. The voice of God says... Just as it says here, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I hope that encourages you. I hope that that gives you something to kind of hold on to. I hope that it, because um, there's, there, you know, I, we could give so many disclaimers that can this only happen in church? No, of course this cannot only happen in church. Can it only happen in a group? No, it cannot only happen in a group. Is there a elite group of people who hear this and a non-elite group? No, I mean, there, there's all the dangers of talking about this kind of stuff. But what I do believe God, and I mean, God is saying this is a word for the whole nation of Israel. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so I really believe this is something we can count on, that even as there's the really cool particularities of each person's encounter that differ from story to story to story, one thing that's going to always be true is that God is going to say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dead things come to life, because that's who I am. I am the living God. In the same way that for Adam and Eve, their hearts longed for that encounter with the living God. In the same way that Peter said, you are the son of the living God. That is the deepest revelation we get is when we come in contact with God who is alive, the living God, which then makes sense why coming alive would be the clearest sense of God moving in our lives. So let's, let's, let, let's say the same thing one final time in the last bit of that that we read. Um, all the imagery is cool up through verse 14, but we'll kind of finish it off here in verse, verse 14. This is, how, this is how this particular vision finishes. God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will be alive. I'll put my spirit in you and you'll be alive. If you want to do a little bit of your own homework on this, go back one chapter earlier in your reflections on this. In the back half of chapter 36, God is building towards this and God says, I'll take your heart of stone and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. Stone's dead, right? Flesh is alive. Flesh can feel. Flesh can be hurt, but flesh can feel. God said, I'm going to take the heart of stone. I'm going to turn to a heart of flesh. And this is God continually saying, this is how you know when my spirit is moving. My spirit goes into your spirit. My spirit brings the life of God into the life of you. My spirit makes your spirit alive. I take your heart of stone, turn it into a heart of flesh. Verse 14 again, I will put my spirit in you. You will live. And then finally God says, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. This is one of the things I so long for for me and that I long for for y'all is that you have a sense of God moving your life in such a way that you feel like you could hear the voice of God. And that, and it's a big conversation to talk about that even as we come in with these different ways. But that's, it's not the only way you can hear the voice of God, but this is the primary one. One of the ways you can know the Lord of God, <laughs> the Lord God has spoken to you is because you hear that voice that's saying, dry, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dead things come to life. Heart of stone become a heart of flesh. That, that is the proof of God in our lives, even as we're describing a realm that can't be understood fully with math and science and logic. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the way we know we're encountering the, the living God when we ourselves are coming back to life. Amen? Join me in prayer, if you will. Oh, dear God, even right in this moment, we're doing the thing we're talking about. We are gathered. <clears throat> we have organized our day. We have taken actions today to not be doing a thousand other things we could be doing, but instead to come together with the people of God, hoping to meet the living God. And so, in this moment, I just pray that you would do the same things for us that you did for Ezekiel. May 
your spirit, the spirit of the triune God that is alive and defined by love. May your spirit come onto our spirits and breathe life into us. God, if there's anyone in the sound of this right now that has never experienced that life for the first time, they have never experienced that gift of having the God of the universe breathe life into them, forgiving our sins, calling us your own, taking a heart of stone and turning to a heart of flesh. I pray today would be the first time that they would do that, to know that gift of your life. And then for all of us, we come before you knowing that at any given moment it feels like there are some things that are dying, that are experiencing disconnection, that are experiencing atrophy, that are experiencing hopelessness, where lies reign more than truth, where death reigns more than life. Some of those we're aware of, some of those we don't even know to ask you to breathe life into them. But we come to you united in this experience of being dead people walking who so desperately need the life of the Spirit of God. So God, we beg of you, encounter us, let us encounter you. May we hear the words of the Almighty God who says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Come to life. Tendons, flesh, breath, movement, army, all the different ways you describe the dead things coming to life. Lord, I know I'll be the first in line to say, I desperately need the life that only the living God can bring. And may this be, may this be our testimony. Let's not our testimony be that we're more woke than somebody else, we're more active than somebody else, we're better behaved than somebody else. Let our testimony be that we are dead people who have been brought to life. Let our testimony be that we walk with a sensitivity to the Spirit of God and assurance that the living God has called us by name, has brought us to life with you and sent us into the world to proclaim this life to other dry bones. May this be a source of deep confidence deep assurance, deep sense of who we are in you. God, there's so much that's in this, and yet at the end of the day, it's so simple. Over and over and over again, we need to hear the living God call out to the dry bones inside of our hearts and minds and souls, inside our communities and our nation. We need the living God to call out to these dry bones and say, Hear the word of the Lord. Come to life. Amen. I really do like the lyrics of that song. Sometimes the state we're in is to sing of the goodness of God. Sometimes the state we're in is running when the goodness of God comes running after us, chasing after us. But in either case, there is a God who comes and says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the good word of the Lord. I want life for you. Well, my favorite kind of benediction is when it's just a transition from this room to the eating room. So this is a different kind of benediction, but let us stand together. We 
get to have potluck Sunday. Thank you so much for those of you who responded and brought food. It looks like a great spread. We're so thankful for that. If you didn't bring food, you are still fully welcome to the table. I wouldn't want you to feel. I've got a first-time friend here, Jayla. We, Caitlin, Megan, Avi, we say hi to Jayla afterwards. Is my first-time friend. Tell her she's fully welcome at the at the lunch afterwards. Everybody's welcome. So we're doing it. Uh, it's not in here for the first time. We're going to do it in the gym. So we're going to tuck everybody in. So you have to interact with people and enjoy. And if you really want to be adventurous, sit with somebody that you don't know super good. So, um, so yeah. I, is there Taylor's? Oh, he's gone. Is there anything besides just go to the front now? Yeah. So. We don't have to move him. We can just we should, we just go eat now. So, uh, as a closing word, let me just repeat the. Let me say these last couple words of verse six again, because this is the vision I think of what God always wants us to hear from the mouth of the living God. God says this. This is our benediction. However, you want to receive these words. God says through this vision, I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then I love that word. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all. See you at the table.